today I thought I would catch up with Richard Watley from Biomin. We've just recently recorded a podcast and I just really wanted to touch base with him as he has had an extensive background um, in infection control and actually saw the first infection control revolution with the HIV epidemic in the 1990s. So this has already essentially happened before in some capacity. And I know as dental professions, well, professionals were all slightly alarmed and unsure of what the future holds, but the dental profession has gone through this in some capacity before. So Richard, thank you so much for agreeing to speak to me on this point today. I just want to ask you, what do you see are the parallels for dentistry between COVID-19 today and the AIDS epidemic? That's very interesting uh, to, to look at uh, the two situations. Back in the 80s and 90s, there was considerable public concern about AIDS and HIV. And like today, there were many people dying and it was extensively reported in the, in the press and the TV. However, maybe the, one of the big differences today is with social media and internet news, we are, uh, we are brought uh, the, uh, much more aware of how things are developing on a worldwide basis. In the, de- in the AIDS case, it took some years before the ACER case with the death of uh, Kimberly Bergelis um, uh, to come through and to be really impacted into dentistry. Around about 1993, uh, there was cons- it was had then been linked that Kimberly Bergelis um, uh, contracted AIDS through her visit to Dr. ACER. And so it took around about four years for this really to, uh, to become widespread news. And it became clear that there were some major deficiencies in infection control um, uh, protocols uh, almost throughout the world. And that made major changes to happen. And But in many ways, the difference with the AIDS uh, uh, situation was AIDS really was uh, the public image, but really the problems associated with hepatitis B and hepatitis C have always been there and were, uh, were equally, if not great, more important to, in, the de- in the dental environment. However, the overall benefit was that it drove a huge change in the way in which uh, dentistry was performed, the development of the HTM 0105, so that we had the dental the, uh, hygiene became far more important in the day-to-day running of the dental practice. Of course. So today, the situation with uh, with uh, with um, COVID nineteen, again, there's huge awareness of this. And also it's showing that some of the premises or or requirements of HTMO 105 probably are no longer fit for purpose for the problems associated. We're going from a pure, basically a bloodborne problem with the case of of, um, HIV and hepatitis B and C to a situation now with the um, COVID-19 where this is very much in in the uh, saliva to a much higher level and we know that that is the first point of contact to the body and that the concentrations in saliva are particularly worrying so the aerosol situation is significant having said that the industry was able to provide the profession with many many um, uh, methods of improving safety the last 20 years of really improving levels of of hygiene I'm I'm convinced that having gone through that that the industry and profession working together 
will come up with very good protocols to reduce the risks uh, to patients and profession. It's certainly reassuring to hear that as well, because for the majority of listeners, no one's ever been through anything like this at the moment. And it is, it, it is a certainly unnerving time, but you know, having witnessed already the first infection control revolution and, you know, to know that it is possible to tighten what we're doing to maybe look into and adapt quite dramatically how we've been treating patients um, is reassuring. We've done it once. We can do it again. I'm sure. I think it's a question of looking at risk and analysing the risks associated. That's what happened back in the in the 90s. And uh the pre- uh, practice of dentistry changed accordingly. We're going to say sure. the same today. Obviously, you need to have very good um, um, masks. So FFT3 uh, masks for hygienists and dentists, I think, are going to become absolutely essential. Uh, without yeah. those, you won't be able to practice. Also, to having um, uh, face uh, guards as well and general um, PP, uh, PPT is going to be very, very important um, uh, going forward. But there are a lot of other things that you can go through to really uh, assess the risk in your practice. Everything from high volume aspiration, is it actually working properly? Are you getting 300 litres per minute through that? So you should really be in contact with your equipment supplier to be able to understand that the equipment you've got is is fit for purpose and is working properly. Also to ensure that you're not just taking the air from one part of the surgery and just kicking it out in the other. So filtration, the use of HEPA filters will become more and more important. Before you get there, you should be also looking at the way in which you prepare the patient prior to treatment. Uh, that um, just simple things like uh, brushing your teeth um, uh, and get, or rather getting the patient to brush their teeth before treatment is very essential. That will reduce the buyer burden to get them to guard with an antimicrobial um, uh, mouthwash. Uh, It doesn't need to be a commercial one. It could be something like hypochlorous acid, which works very, very effectively. If you can reduce the bio burden, you're going to reduce the risk. I suppose we need to have a lot more um, uh, evaluation and and study in this area, but I think that those are simple things that could help reduce the risk for all concerned in the dental practice. These are things that clinicians that are in isolation at the moment, that haven't been redeployed, that maybe have a bit more time on their hands, can maybe start to look into, would you say, Richard? I, I think very much so. You, you need to have good understanding of the processes and of the risks. So in your risk assessment, everything you do today is risk assessment. And I think you need to look at this very important in a very important manner. I think as well, when we're looking at coolant waters coming through the scaler, I know all hygienists, today you can't work without an ultrasonic scaler and an air polisher. Both of these are high aerosol generating products. However, if you can use antimicrobials in the, in the coolant uh, solution, uh, in the uh, coolant water, this will help enormously. Again, uh, having bottled water, pressurized water systems, feeding your machinery is going to be uh, of great value. So you really should be looking into this and getting advice on the right types of equipment to deliver the treatment you wish to provide. And like you already touched on, there obviously needs to be a substantial amount of research around certain areas of this. But regardless, just contacting manufacturers at the moment 
um, in our time at home to get an understanding about maybe additional equipment we could be looking into and writing a list down could also help, would you say? Absolutely. I think you need to do a, really an inventory of the equipment you've got and try to understand how that Im impacts the current situation, what the risks are, and then to understand is that equipment still relevant or should you be looking to upgrade that or uh, to get accessories that are going to make that equipment um, um, more uh, much safer for your uh, for your patients i really think it brings into question working in any other way than with uh, forehanded because unless you've got control of the uh, of the aerosol using high volume suction um, you uh, will always be running a high level of risk. So I think the days of hygienists are working on their own or therapists working on their own is, is highly questionable. So for the safety of, of the clinicians, the staff and the patients, I think uh, uh, practices really need to know how they're structured. Yeah. I know I, I would, I'm going to use my voice now. I would say, I would totally agree with that because we need support, especially with the look at potentially what we will have to be doing additionally in our cross-infection control to make sure that we meet the requirements. We will need more time and also the support, obviously, with a nurse and for the high volume suction is definitely, I feel, a way that we should be moving towards. I agree with you. And also having a nurse present is going to improve the turnaround time that you're going to uh, require. I think it's obvious that if we look at one of the effects of the COVID-19, it's going to be the speed at which you turn around um, patients is going to be far slower. So the number of patients you'll be able to treat per day is going to be uh, far less. And um, you'll need help, uh, from, from nursing help, to be able to decontaminate uh, uh, the, room, uh, the room as best possible. Sure, and optimise on that turnaround for the number of patients that we will be able to accommodate. Exactly. Um, just something I just want to pass by you and maybe something that the listeners could maybe find helpful now is I received a document this morning from a colleague who's actually working um, elsewhere in the world, actually in the Middle East, um, about pathways that they are thinking about, about putting into place. And it brought my mind to the thought that this is also maybe something we can start to work on home. at home. It may not be concrete now, but as we transition our mindset, I feel it's maybe less daunting if we get our mind in that place already to be analytical, looking at the risk assessment, like you said, and maybe thinking about optimal pathways of the way to deliver even the message to our patients could be something that we could be working on. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I think this is a very good time to become more aware to, uh, of, of the situation, to work out how you, you can uh, minimize the risk, to no, not only to yourself, but also obviously to your patients and, and colleagues. And um, that to really understand the threats of, of, of COVID-19, how it works. We know uh, it's well known now that nasal passages and, um, the, uh, and also saliva in the mouth are the pathways of the, of the virus into the body. So how can we ma manage that in the best way possible? I would also suggest that you're looking uh, personally at rinsing, again, gargling with an antimicrobial regularly is going to reduce your risk. 
also even finding ways in the nasal passages are also um, are at risk. That's also where we, we're finding uh, COVID-19 uh, tends to proliferate. So ways in which you disinfect your, uh, the nasal passages and your mouth on a regular basis are certainly likely to reduce um, uh, your, your personal risk. And the same for anybody else in the practice. So I would say looking at guard between patients would be no bad thing. It certainly is, it, it can do no harm. Sure, sure. So in the long term, you've briefly spoken about initially what you think things are maybe going to look like. What about in the long term, um, Richard? What do you think that maybe I think could that, look like? First of all, like? that, uh, that if we can get um, better uh, uh, testing of uh, carriers of COVID-19, that it would be absolutely fantastic that everyone coming into the practice and also the practitioners themselves have been tested on a regular basis. It will cr create far greater uh, um, uh, certainty uh, of the uh, protocols that you're putting into place. So I think, and also the dental practice is a great place for the um, this testing to be undertaken. So I think uh, I can see one of the benefits or could come out of this is the dental practice could have a secondary uh, activity, which is to test uh, the population. You see a lot of them. Uh, and uh, that would also make uh, the, de the dental practice maybe less or more inviting to the general public. So uh, I think that would be very good. At the same time, you could teach them some more hygiene skills to reduce their risk at the same time. So I couldn't more. agree more. So <laughs> and actually, actually, a great opportunity for the uh, for the um, hygienist uh, and therapist to become more engaged with their patients and to try to and to reassure them uh, of the uh, of all the protocols that are being put into place in in the practice. Yeah. Interestingly, you say that. Um, Claire Berry, who's been a previous guest on the podcast, the dental hygienist, actually began a campaign um, petitioning for this. So I, I do hope that we maybe move forward with it. And I believe it's within Public Health England at the moment. They're looking at it. Well, so maybe, maybe you'll get a one UDA for the, per, for the process. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if you're really lucky <laughs> yeah oh well Richard thank you so much for just sharing your insight your invaluable in insight into this from your previous experience throughout your career path it's I know I'm sure it's going to be of value to all the listeners and um, thank you for joining me back on the Smile Revolution podcast it's been a pleasure Victoria thank you